Hello everyone and welcome to Always Choose Orange. Today's episode is called Eat These Words, The Power of Context. So, legend has it that famed semiotician Alfred Korzebski was once giving a lecture to a group of his students when he interrupted his own lesson to grab a pack of biscuits from his suitcase. Now, the biscuits, or we would probably call them crackers I guess nowadays, were wrapped in plain white paper. So Korzebski mumbled that he was so hungry that he had to get something to eat, and as he was eating one, he um, offered a few students in the front row a biscuit. So a handful of them accepted and, and popped them in their mouths and were, were chewing, and Korzebski uh, took a second one and said, you know, nice nice biscuit, don't you think? And the students were, were still chewing when Korzebski tore off the white paper, revealing that what he actually had was a box of dog cookies. So the students were absolutely horrified, and a couple of them ran out of the room to vomit. And uh, Korzebski just stood there, and he slowly goes, You see, I've just demonstrated that people don't just eat food. They also eat words. And the taste of the former is often outdone by the taste of the latter. Let's sit with that for a second. Words have a profound power to alter our perception of reality. One minute those students were gleefully chewing those dog biscuits, and the next minute they wanted to throw up. And what changed? Well, it wasn't the taste of the biscuits. The sensory input was the exact same. The only thing that changed was the meaning assigned to that sensory input. So in uh, therapy, there's a phenomenon called reframing, which is basically when you take a situation, a person, a relationship, um, a story about something, and you change its meaning so that it appears differently uh, inside yourself. So as you can probably imagine, that is immensely helpful in helping people work through things that they either don't like about themselves, don't like about their relationships, don't like about their lives, um, or work through scenarios that are causing you know, immense um, emotional stress. What does that look like in practice? So when I was in college, I had a good friend named Andrew who loved smoking cigarettes. And we had a mutual friend named Robbie, and both of us used to sort of good-naturedly harass Andrew for smoking. Um, Robbie and I didn't, didn't, both didn't smoke. We kind of didn't understand it, I guess. And one night, we'd made a few jokes about it in my apartment, and uh, we decided to go on a walk around campus, get some fresh air, and you know find something to do. So a quarter of the way through our walk, we passed a couple of guys smoking cigarettes in front of one of the lecture halls, and Andrew you know, confidently walks up to them, and he asks if he could on the cigarette and uh one of the guys said yeah and we all began having a conversation with them and uh, we learned that they had taken the bus up from seattle and were in town to play a rap show and uh we ended up talking to them for probably like 10 or 15 minutes while everyone smoked their cigarettes and uh we just had a great conversation and it was cool to get a chance to talk to these people and after after we finished um andrew thanked them and the three of us walked away, and right as we walked away, Andrew turned to me with this with this awesome smile on his face, and he's like, that's why I smoke cigarettes. And in that moment, I saw what I was so sure was a 100% harmful behavior. I had a bunch of judgments upon it, all that stuff. I saw it in a completely new light. So, obviously... Um, you know, there's implications of cigarette smoking on lung health and all of those things that are, you know, proven from scientific studies. So that's not, that's not really the point here. The point was um, through that um, 
different interpretation, uh, the magic was that I got to see that behavior from a different angle that allowed me to stop judging a friend and have greater compassion and understand his heart more than I did before. So that's, that's a good place to start is have you ever experienced a moment like that? Um, a moment where you previously had seen something one way and then suddenly your eyes were open and you saw it from a completely different way. Words have the power to do that. And today I want to talk about three ways, um, three things, I guess is a better way of phrasing it, three things that we can slightly adjust in order to change how we see things, which allows us to completely alter the actions that we're able to take in response to those things. Um, so essentially what I'm talking about is changing the context of something. So if you look up the word context in the dictionary, there's three definitions. And we're going to talk about uh, the first two of those. So the first definition is the part of a text or statement that surrounds a particular word or passage and determines its meaning. The second definition is the circumstances in which an event occurs, a setting. Um, and there are three ways that I want to talk about um, that we can make easy, easy changes to um, that help us change our context. So, so those three things are word, metaphor, and story. And um, like I said, they're kind of all different aspects of the same thing. And you'll see what I mean as we dive into each of them. So first, let's start with words. Uh, Mark Twain once said that the difference between the almost right word and the right word is a large matter. It's the difference between the lightning bug and lightning. And as silly as that sounds, it's totally true. So you've probably heard someone say, ah, it's just semantics, like that's a negative thing. To which a reasonable response would be, well, okay, what isn't just semantics? Um, and if you look at what semantics actually means, uh, again, there's three definitions. Number one, the study or science of meaning in language. Number two is the competence of a speaker with regard to the interpretation of the meaning of linguistic structures. And number three, the most relevant definition to what we're talking about here is the study of relationships between signs and symbols and what they represent. So that last definition touches on this on the most because it describes what language actually is. It's just signs and symbols that represent something else. So if I say the word water, you don't actually get wet. It just conjures a mental image that you understand because you've had an experience of water. And when each of us hear the word water, uh, we, we probably have a slightly different representation of that in our minds. Someone's thinking of a glass of water. Someone's thinking of um, a lake. Someone else is thinking about a river. Um, someone's thinking about a puddle. Someone's thinking about their dishwasher, right? We're all looking at that from a slightly different angle. So when we think about words, it's important to remember that, that even though there are agreed upon definitions of words, each of us has our own sort of symbolic way of understanding them. Um, each of those words has a different sort of emotional significance to us, depending on what's happened in our life and what we associate with those words. Um, back in junior high, um, I had a teacher named Mr. Cornut, and he used to sit at his desk and read the dictionary while we were working on our classwork. And all of us, obviously, like me and my friends, we used to make fun of that, um, you know, and just kind of laugh, like, who reads the dictionary? Like, why would anybody do that? Um, and now, <laughs> it's so funny. Now, like, 
whatever, 20 years later, 15 years later, I'm like, that is awesome. That's so genius because especially as artists who use the written words. So this is for all my writers, poets, songwriters out there. Um, that's our, you know, I've heard it described as like the arrows in our quiver or the tools in our toolbox. Or I like to think about it as if you're building something out of Legos, um, metaphorically, each word that we know is a different shaped Lego that we can use in different scenarios. So it's super, super important, especially, um, I think for all artists, but definitely for artists who predominantly use the written word, we need to, you know, it's kind of hilarious, but it's like, we need to look at the dictionary. We need to look at uh, the source. We need to look at etymology and really learn how to get more Legos in our Lego box. So how do we make this practical? And, you know, how can you use this in your own life? So um, one way that I've heard about is talking about when you're in a scenario and um, you can do it with, um, we'll start with the negative first. So if you're feeling some um, negative emotions, um, thinking about the word you use when you talk about those emotions. So at first when you do this, um, I know this from experience, it'll feel like you're faking it or you're being sort of quote unquote inauthentic because you're um, saying something different than what you feel, but um, that's a real, there's a really powerful thing in life when we when we realize that um, our thoughts are either always or very very often the result of what we're thinking, and if we change what we're thinking, the emotions change along with it. So if I'm really really mad and I'm feeling all this anger in my body and I go, oh, I'm so pissed off right now. This completely sucks that generates a certain sort of response um, bodily. But if I, in that same scenario, and again, I've done this, um, if instead um, someone break, you know, one of my kids breaks something of mine, instead of saying, oh, I'm so pissed off, or you know, I can't believe that happened, blah, 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 saying, I am so peeved right now, um, it, makes, it makes me crack a smile, it makes me laugh, and all of a sudden it lessens the intensity of that anger. So if you're in a situation where that anger either isn't appropriate or isn't beneficial for what how you're trying to treat um, the person you're around, use a silly word for it. Um, you know, and you can even make something up. I'm peeved. I'm so gassed up right now, or whatever it is, right? Like, but tone down the intensity, and you'll feel your body respond to it. Especially if you do it more over time. And if you make yourself laugh, that often works really, really well. And here's an obvious thing to point out, but we all already do this unconsciously. So if we want to amplify the intensity of something that we're feeling, we use certain words. Um, and if we want to downplay the significance of something, we use different words. So the full power comes when we do that on purpose because that gives ourselves um, an additional mastery of our feelings. And so that's the negative side of it. On the positive side of it, if you want to amp up a positive feeling, so for example, if someone asks you, how's your day going? You're like, oh, it's good. Um, if you want to, in that moment, tap into an additional depth of that positive emotion, someone asks you how you're doing, spectacular, fantastic, utterly amazing, right? And just think of the more outrageous words you can say and see how it makes your body feel and 
it, again, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds hilarious. It sounds like it's just semantics. And my sort of take on it is, well, yeah, of course, that's that's amazing. Um, what what else what else is there? Um, so that's words. Now we're gonna move on to metaphor. So back in, gosh, I think it was 2017, I was volunteering for at a personal uh, an organization that held personal development seminars. And as I volunteered, my job was to call people who had signed up for these seminars and kind of just prep them for, for what to expect during them. Um, and so I would come in and there was sort of the, um, the guy who worked for that organization and he, you know, give us a list of um, each of us who were volunteering, a list of the people we we're going to be calling that day. And I remember I came in one day and I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm totally going to get this. I'm going to knock this out. And he's like, no, we're not going to knock anything out. Uh, we're going to, you're just going to, you know, connect with these people. And I remember being so frustrated and thinking that was so stupid. Like I could, what do you mean? Like I can say, knock it out if I want to. Um, you know, why are you telling me to say it somewhere else? Cause I, it was multiple times. I would say, um, knock it out or blast through it or some of these metaphors. And what I wasn't realizing at the time until he did it a couple times was these metaphors were exactly how I was looking at this task. It wasn't a coincidence that I was saying them. So my mentality was I'm going to call these people and just get it done so that I can go home. That was my mentality was, I don't want to do this. Let's get it done as quick as possible. I don't want to be here. Um, these are just things that I need to get done. But his context was, no, these aren't really important conversations. These are opportunities to connect with people. These are opportunities to set someone up for, you know, a seminar that um, could very well change their life. Like it was important work that didn't need to be rushed through. And so from that moment on, I started realizing that the metaphors I use to represent a situation aren't coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of the way I'm looking at that thing. And it's really humbling to see that as you go through the next week, really pay attention when you're using a metaphor and ask yourself, what are the implications of this metaphor? What I mean by what are the implications is... Um, me saying, I'm going to knock this out, I'm going to blast through it, was that I need to do this thing fast. That was some of the implications. And also there was an implication of violence. Uh, I need to knock it out. That's a, a violent act. I'm going to blast through it, violent act. So there was a lot of, uh, of sort of violence in these metaphors that I was using because I was so frustrated that I was doing something I didn't want to do. Uh, and that just came from me looking at it that way. Once I started looking at it as um, these are powerful conversations that are going to make a really big difference for people, I didn't feel like that anymore. I felt like it was an honor uh, to be doing that work. Um, so definitely look at it that way. I also read about a hospital where um, their staff, when they were giving presentations, were not allowed to use the phrase bullet points because they were an institution of healing and bullets were um, used as instruments of harm. And so in order for them to have integrity and live into their mission as healers, they refused to even use the word bullet points 
Instead, they called them information points. Now, again, some of us might be laughing at that, and there is there is some humor to that. But at the same time, there's also a lot of beauty to that, of that attention to detail where you're so dedicated to what you feel called to do in the world that you align your language with that in order to help you achieve it. So that's the first challenge uh, when it comes to metaphor is, is look at how you use metaphor and what the implications are with metaphor. And it can be something more trivial like, you know, using bullet points in a PowerPoint presentation, but it can also be bigger than that. I've, I've uh, walked, been walked through an exercise about what's called guiding metaphors. And a lot of us have giant metaphors that we use to interpret life. So you can kind of find yours by filling in the blank. If I say life is dot, 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 you know, fill in the blank. Um, that is a guiding metaphor because the way you answer that question is how you look at life in that moment. And chances are you thought of something when I said that. When I say life is, what's the first thing that you think of? Get present to it right now. Now, think of the implications of that metaphor. So if you say life is a race, what are the implications of a race? Okay, well, a race infers competition. Uh, it incurs, um, there's a prize at the end. It's something that you often are trying to get through to get to the end. And you can kind of quickly see that there's some positive implications of thinking of life as a race and there are some negative implications of thinking of life as a race. Other people might say life is an experiment. So there's implications of that. I'm going to try this. I'm going to see how that turns out. I'm going to try this and see how that turns out, right? There's positive implications of that. There's negative implications of that. And um, the goal isn't necessarily to find some overarching guiding metaphor that's going to be completely positive. It's just getting present to the one that you're currently using and, you know, play with that. Perhaps at some point there's one that's really working and then at other points, oh, I need to change that guiding metaphor. Some people think life is a test, right? There's, I got to learn all this stuff so that I can pass the test. So do some reflecting on, on that. It's, it's a pretty fun exercise. I, I spend some time doing that every now and again and always discover something. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is stories. So again, this kind of is another way of turning turning the gem, so to speak. So it's kind of similar to words. It's kind of similar to metaphors. But when you look at a story, sometimes we have the ability to know exactly why someone did something or why something happened to us, right? Sometimes it's super cut and dry. This happened because of this. This happened because of that. They said this because of that, right? And sometimes it's obvious to us. But as all of us know, sometimes it's not. In fact, a lot of the time it's not. We have to interpret a situation and we often don't have access to the facts that would help us know exactly why something happened. So if you're anything like me, um, when you're in an ambiguous situation or something happens to you and it's not super clear why it happened, our brains will often default to the most dramatic worst case scenario ever. So if I you know, send someone a message about a creative project that I'm working on and they don't respond, um, and it's been a week and they still haven't responded, 
my brain will immediately go, oh, you said that wrong. If you would have said it like this, they would have responded. They don't like you. They don't want to work on this. They blah, 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 right? All these things about myself that are just negative. But I have no clue why they didn't respond to it. No clue. Um, I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast, uh, and he had Dr. Gabor Mate on there. And they were talking about, they were talking about this exact thing. And um, Gabor Mate was leading Tim through an exercise. And he said, you know, what's a situation in which you got mad, like a disempowering situation where you got really mad and frustrated. And Tim was talking about how he went on vacation and he hired somebody to clean his house while he was gone. And he came back and the guy didn't do it. Um, the house was not clean. And so Gabor Mate was like, well, you know, why do you think that happened? And in that moment, like when you reacted angry and frustrated, like, why did you think that guy did that? And Tim was talking about, well, he doesn't respect me. Um, you know, he, he doesn't take it seriously. And, and that made him super mad. Now, um, you know, aside from asking the person, you know, why did, why did you not show up and do it? Which again, when possible is an easy, clear solution for something like this. But if you're in a scenario and you don't necessarily have the luxury or even just don't even feel comfortable asking the person. Another way of sort of lessening a really intense negative response to this is um, going through an exercise where you start brainstorming all of the possible reasons the situation could have happened. And so in this example, Dr. Cabramate um, was asking Tim, okay, what are some plausible reasons why the guy didn't clean your house? Tim's like, well, his wife could have had a baby. Uh, he could have gotten into a car accident on the way to, to, get to go clean my house. He could have forgot. He could have been sick, right? There's a whole different thing. And you can think of tons and tons of, of reasons why something did or didn't happen. And again, if you're, unless you're like in a situation where you can talk to the person and get sort of the objective truth of what happened, in that scenario, right, you just go for whatever the truth is and then you deal with the emotions that respond to the truth. But if you're in a situation where that's not possible, you're just looking for, I guess, compassion and an understanding of, you know, maybe the first place that my mind jumped to isn't actually accurate, right? Maybe there is a perfectly good and reasonable explanation to this. Sometimes that's true, sometimes that isn't true. Um, but it'll help you more rationally deal with the external situation without sort of blowing it out of proportions. So looking at tweaking our words, our metaphors, and our stories, um, it gives us a lot of power in dealing with sort of our emotional lives. Is it a magic solution that's going to suddenly solve all of our problems? No, it's not. Um, but give it a shot because it definitely, definitely helps. <laughs>